and welcome to NSTA, The Bus Stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I am Kurt Mackison, Executive Director, and with me today is Tim Ammon. He is co-owner of Decision Support Group and a great friend of uh, NSTA. So, Tim, welcome to The Bus Stop. Kurt, it's always a pleasure to come by and to to be working with the hardest working man in the association business, the the James Brown of the association business, as the case may be. So <laughs> we're going <laughs> to amplify that for for, for for my board of directors. We're just yes. we're, I'm just going to cut this piece out and put it on YouTube. So, but <laughs> label, label it up. And but down. thank exactly exactly. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shy away from the label. Tim. You thank you, but thank right. you. I appreciate it. You know, we, you know, NSTA interfaced with you last year on the, um, you know, Starts Task Force there. Not sure if our folks fully know about Decision Support Group, what you all do, and your background in student transportation. So why don't we take a minute to start there, Tim? Sure. Yeah, thank you. So Decision Support Group is a advisory services firm, consulting firm that uh, I founded with my longtime partner here, Tom Platt. And we've been working with both districts and contractors over the last 20 odd years, focusing mostly on just how do we how do we drive operational efficiency? How do we drive effectiveness into organizations, whether they are district owned or contracted, recognizing that each of those organizations has different needs and different incentives. And so our focus has been on how do we try to make sure that organizations designed to support access to education for kids are able to do that in a way that is not only beneficial to the students, but that also ensures that the companies can continue to operate effectively, continue to operate profitably so that they can continue to operate. Yeah. And I mean, operating, you know, in that landscape, obviously we're one of you know, three organizations that you work with on the START task force. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're on the private side of the equation. So why don't you talk a little bit about decision support group and maybe the things you can do with private contractors to support what they do? Sure. And I think we've got some some relatively recent examples with our customer base that that uh, is illustrative, I think, of all of the things that are occurring in the industry, but but that also just gives some sense of the capabilities. <clears throat> and that's particularly around the area of systems integration and systems development. One of the things that we have seen, particularly in response to the topic that we'll spend some time on today on the driver shortages, this idea of how to how do contractors identify you know, what sort of the, the minimum supply of individuals they need is. And so when we're thinking about that, we're thinking about it all the way from the top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel from, from the, the recruiting process and how we manage applicants down through the operations management component of things and how are we managing people in and out of the system and what processes and what systems are we putting in place to address retention and thinking about that relative to the operating systems around like GPS and routing software that in many instances, contractors are operating on behalf of their customers. And, and in doing so, they have 
different requirements, but I think ultimately the same goal, which is how do we take all of these systems that we've put in place, shape them so that we can have both useful information organizationally and useful information to the customer base to be able to demonstrate that providing services in this manner is efficient, it's effective, it's in the customer's best interest, and that that when we're looking at, at our ability to expand access to education, that we can we can be the primary or a primary provider of that kind of service. Because I think, you know, we've we've we talk a lot of times about just transportation and and the logistics of it. And and that to me understates the value of what the membership of NSTA is providing. And that under and, and the understatement primarily comes in this form of of the value that is provided by just making sure that that we can offer as many kids as many ways to get to school as we possibly can. And and I think I certainly hear that from the membership of NSTA where their primary focus is on saying, you know, we're just trying to do a really good job despite all of the obstacles in place, including the driver shortage, to make sure that kids are getting to school on time and they can get there ready to learn. Yeah, and that's such a, a great point. And, you know, I actually have a few follow-up questions, but I'll, I will be disciplined because I think we need to probably, you know, take this conversation into that subject of the driver shortage. And the, so let me allow you to give kind of your broad 35,000 foot view, you know, of what's going on out there. And, and then we can drill down certainly into a few more specifics about it. So what are you seeing, Tim? Yeah, I wish... I wish I was seeing better things, to be perfectly honest, right? I, I wish it was a lot easier. I mean, it, you know, it's no mystery that this is the number one challenge facing the industry. It's also no mystery that it is a broadly based challenge and that it's across not only operations of all different sizes, but organizations of all different sizes, and that it's got a set of characteristics that are, I think, different than the the shortages that we've seen in the past, right? I mean, you know, it would be naive to suggest that the driver shortage is something new. Um, but I think the characteristics of this driver shortage are a little bit different than than the ones in the past uh, that certainly that I've seen over the last 20 years. And so consequently, I think that I, how we go about trying to address it is is going to have to be different than what we've done in the past. And And that's the unfortunate part of that is, changing that mindset, changing that approach is going to be really hard. And it's going to require a lot of organizations that have been around for a long time to challenge some of the basic precepts about what drives applicants and what increases the number of applicants. Because I think holding out for a good recession is no longer a strategic move. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is what we hear about a lot, right? I mean, if, if the economy yeah. just went down, we'd have a ton of new applicants. And I just... I don't believe right. that that's the case yeah. anymore. No, and you raise a really good point about the driver shortage. It occurred. I've done a fair number of media calls where they're all saying, you know, they always ask that question. Is this a new phenomenon? Is this mm -hmm. something you, you've seen previously? And the interesting thing, my response to that is I answer, you know, similar to what you were saying in terms of, no, it's not new. But this one, this current driver shortage, I can actually explain to you. Yeah, you know the dynamics that are taking place. 
So, you know, we talk about things like extended unemployment. We talk about the demographic of the driver pool. You know, we also talk about the CDL and the value of having that, you know, that license in a marketplace, a challenging marketplace for CDL license holders. So this this one I can explain previously. You're right. You know, some of it was chalked up to, you know, hey, countries at full employment. It's just difficult to get the candidates into the door. Yeah, yeah. And, and I do think it is those basic differences that, while they may be identifiable, are going to force organizations to rethink some of, of how they go about filling that shortage. Because I, you know, as as much as you hear the anecdotal, hey, we advertised on Facebook and we got two applicants, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But if you need 30, that's actually not that helpful. Mm-hmm. That's one fifteenth, right? Yeah. Like, that's not a lot. So so right. I think that the challenge that we have to that we have to face as an industry and, and the challenge that that contractors are going to have to face, and, and I think we saw this at the, you know, at, at the conference is the attention that this gets cannot be an ancillary job for somebody. You know, this this has now become something that while we may have worried about it full-time before, it has to be somebody's job full-time now, I think. Because I think there are too many opportunities outside of the sphere of just coming in to drive the bus, as, as many people may have done before, um, so, the, so the options available to people are so much more vast that that we've got to have people who are thinking every day about why this is the right job for the right people. Um, and I've heard you say this and heard you communicate this in, in other forums, but we need to do a much better job of, of describing who, who can be a bus driver, which may be everybody. And then more importantly, doing some of the things like what PSBA has been doing through their, through their recent campaigns around, why would you want to do this, right? What's the value in doing this to you as the employee? And why are we a better option than somebody else? And, yeah. and to me, yeah. that's, that's a really challenging thing because I don't know, I don't know that, that we've confronted it that headlong before. No, and you're probably right in that regard. But I always go back to this. So we have folks who are out there. I mean, we have the we didn't have it this year, but we have the School Bus Driver International Safety Competition. If you've ever been at one of those, the energy around that is yeah. is obvious. There are folks who are very passionate about their jobs and doing this, and those folks now should be the ambassadors out oh. there saying, you know, hey. This is why I love doing what I do. And then it's kind of a genuine pitch, you know, yeah. out into the marketplace to attract drivers. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Because, you know, the, the, the purported numbers, right, which I think are probably actually underestimates of suggesting somewhere or from around the country, whether it's contracted or district owned, there's the shortage of between 25 and 100,000 drivers, right? I, that that strikes me as, you know, that's 25% of the industry roughly, right? That, that might actually be a little bit right. Mm-hmm. You know, finding 100,000 people to do anything is an enormous challenge and, and is yeah. going to have to be thought about systemically. It's going to have to be thought about in sort of an integrated fashion. And, and, and what I, where I think NSTA becomes an enormously valuable component for not only its membership, but just, just for the education system in general 
is thinking about how to be part of that system, right? How to be at the top of the funnel to get people in. You know, the, the you behind the wheel thing to me is really interesting from PSBA, from just the messaging perspective. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, what, what associations like this and associations like NSTA in particular have is they've got an energy and a momentum behind them to think about this as a as an integrated problem for a bunch of decentralized businesses and and so how do you how do you try to get everybody to participate and contribute so that in the end you're making everybody better off um, and and I, I think that the association that, that is going to have an enormously important role to play in that in the, in the immediate and in, in the medium term. Yeah. And, you know, in your comments, you referred to the NSTA annual meeting and convention. And for folks who've been following, we just had that a few weeks back in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you did a great job moderating a driver shortage panel, had some great uh, speakers on that that talked about what they are doing and and this is one of those really broad issues. So we all know in our training that you can't eat the elephant in one bite, right? right? So we got to break this down. And I think the panel did a great job of, of just showing that a lot of little things can go together that will affect change that will help us in this driver shortage. Um, what were your observations with respect to the panel? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I, I mean, the, the, and this goes back to a comment I had just made, but but the, for all of the three other panelists, it was it was their job, right? And, and so that to me right. was really really important, right? Because we we hear about recruiting and we hear about who's doing that and we hear about that being a role in the organization, but but these you know the the folks from Cook and the folks from Cobuson, not only did they have it as a role in the organization, they had it as someone's role in the organization. And that to me is incredibly important nuance. And because when it was someone's role, they brought a passion to it and they brought a set of thoughts to it that I don't think happens if recruiting is something you're doing to fill a number of positions rather than recruiting is something you're doing to support the organization. And, and that, that, ability to to bring that passion to it and to be thoughtful about okay if this is my challenge at my job every day what are the unique and, indivi and individualized things i can do to try to make this happen and i thought they did a great job of describing those things and and i yeah, thought they I, also did yeah. a great job of of talking about you know we 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 spend a giant amount of time talking about the top of the funnel about recruiting and mm -hmm. one of the one of the really important points that they made is if we do a better job of recruiting internally by reducing turnover. So we're focused on retention. We're focused on, you know, recruiting doesn't just happen to get people in the door. It happens to keep them inside the building. Then we make that top level number smaller. So we make the problem smaller by doing a better job of getting people in the building and keeping them. And, and that, I think, is something that gets lost in the conversation when we're talking about just the number of people we need rather than the people we have. No, that's, a great, uh, that's a great point. I'm going to throw a little bit uh, of a curveball at you here. 
um, but you're a big baseball fan, and I know. Yep, could, ne- could never hit a course. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. <laughs> but it, it's it's something I think you, you know, and I've been quoted in, in publications just telling people that this is the perfect you know storm, you know, because there are a number of different areas we can look at and say, yeah, that has had an impact on the shortage. That had an impact. That had an impact. That had an impact. But one of the areas that I haven't talked about a lot, but in in my thought pattern here too, uh, and, and this is more for recruitment, perhaps has a pillar in retention too, but mostly in recruitment, is as the number of states go and legalize marijuana for medicinal and recreational purposes, we're shrinking that driver pool. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, and how much of an impact you think that might be? I, I think we don't know yet. I think you're right. I think the, pre- the starting presumption that it's going to have some influence on our ability to fill positions is is 100% correct. The the volume of of impact, or you know, maybe not the 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 magnitude of impact, I think is something we don't exactly know yet. Um, but in a in an environment where we need sort of every able body possible, it can't be helpful. Right. That's sort of, I think, a basic right. starting point. But I think that, you know, this, you know, we talk a lot, actually, in, you know, sort of behind the four walls, so to speak, about what are some of the structural things that are impediments to filling all of the driver positions we need. And I, and I think this is clearly going to be one of them. Right. I mean, this is this is one of those things where, you know, more applications get thrown away as a result of this rather than anything else, I think, you know, including, you know, MVR histories and all that kind of other stuff. So I, mm-hmm. I have, I have a pretty strong confidence that, that the, the underlying hypothesis that you have is correct, that this is going to have a pretty significant impact. It's just a matter of defining that significance, right? Like what the, what the actual magnitude is. And, and my yeah. take, my take is, if the magnitude is 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 large, right, which it certainly has the potential to be, um, that has enormously disruptive impacts on the way that we provide services right now, and, and to whom we can yeah. actually provide services to. Yeah, and I and I and we probably didn't set the the groundwork. I mean, all you know, all the folks who are you know within the transportation uh, realm understand that there can't be any traces of marijuana you know, in your system, perhaps for any layperson, uh, you know, tuning in probably may not know that, that nuance, but that's, that's really what we're talking about, you know, from that standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to morph into, you know, another aspect of, you know, our engagement and that's going back actually in history to the starts task force. So that student transportation aligned for return to school we did that in 2020, um, put out a great report. You and Jim Regan co-managed that process so well and so effectively. I thought we put out a lot of great information for the return to school last year. Uh, you know, we were just talking about this. I think the report, at least largely, is still appropriate as we're looking to the same challenges in return to school in 2021, primarily because of the Delta variant. So what are your thoughts on that? The starts uh, task force, what we had out last year and kind of dusting that off this year to take a look at before you return to school. 
Yeah, as proud as I was of the work that that Jim and, and his team and and that Tom and I worked on with with you and with Charlie and with Mike, I really wish that we could have just put it on the shelf, right? Because that would have meant that this whole thing was mm-hmm. over. Um, but right. but it doesn't it doesn't look like we're going to get there. And that and I think it it I think the basic premises that are provided as far as guidance in the report still hold up really well in this environment. I mean, conditions are clearly different in that um, some of the underlying thoughts around the degree to which, you know, we're going to have sort of hybrid openings and and some of those things. Like, I think that they're challenged a little bit because of the, the legislative and statutory reaction to what's gone on over the last you know, year and a half or so. But but I think from a from an actual pure logistics planning piece of it, there's really a lot of very good value in going back and particularly looking at some of the appendices and the guidance that the appendices give in terms of, you know, if this, then that, if we're going to have to do this, then here's 10 other things we've got to do to make sure um, we're accomplishing that that task safely and efficiently. I think there's still a lot of value in going in and looking at those things and, and revisiting them because the the guidelines themselves, particularly the core guidelines, um, continue to hold up in the context of Delta um, really well. Yeah, yeah, great, great points. And, you know, my gosh, uh, we covered a lot of ground and looking at the time and I'm like, okay, you know, it's always a great conversation with Tim. Unfortunately, you got to wind down. But if folks want to learn more about Decision Support Group, and or get in touch with you, how can they do that, Tim? Yeah, sure. So uh, they can certainly call, right? We could go old school and actually use the phone. Um, which oh. is, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's the it's the <laughs> bottom left, I think, in the iPhone. I can't remember anymore. But um, <laughs> uh, um, but our, our number, I feel free to call me. It's at uh, 856-338-8122 or certainly email, uh, email me or Tom Platt. Uh, so it's T Ammon, so T A M M O N at decision support group.com or a Tom Platt, which is T Platt, T P L A T T at decision support group.com or, you know, decision support group.com on the web. Well, once again, our guest at NSTA, the bus stop, Tim Ammon, co owner of decision support group. Tim, always a great conversation. As the dust settles with the driver shortage, going to have you back. We'll talk about it. I'm sure we'll have some statistics to go over and some observations. So, hey, thanks for taking a few minutes out of your day to join us at NSTA the bus stop. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Kurt. And thanks for everything that, that you and the other associations are doing, you in particular for all the work. And as it relates to the driver shortage for being a continued part of trying to solve this with the survey that was put out by the three associations together, I'm excited to see what the results of that are and have that as a topic of conversation as well. All right. Thanks, Tim. All the best. Thanks, Kurt. Appreciate it.